adventures between the Arctic and Antarctic. Listen to Arvid Fuchs on the Ocean Change podcast. Welcome to this podcast episode. This is Bärbel in Hamburg. Hi, and this is Arvid in Bad Bramstedt. Arvid, how are you and how is Dagmar? Well, I'm fine, thank you. And, uh, well, Dagmar is, uh, well, she's okay as well, but we started working on her and uh, literally taking her apart. So the, the sales are in the workshop of the sale maker. And, uh, uh, yeah, we, we took the water tank out. And uh, so we have to refurbish a few things. And, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a busy place right now. Okay, so... Now it's winter time. You are between two expeditions. You came back from your last expedition in September and just now you are planning a new one. And um, let's just look back to your first expedition with the Dagmar on the ice sail expedition, which started in 1991. Your plan was to circumnavigate the North Pole. And you had to uh, spend a winter in Siberia, in Igarka, and then you tried to sail east. And I think that's the point where we should start today. What do you remember? It was June 1992. Yeah, after wintering in Igarka, so uh, we eventually moved further up north just following basically the ice edge because uh, the ice break up took part in the southern part of the Yenisei and gradually the, the ice would move northwards and we were just following the ice. And uh, then once we reached the coastline, there's a big bay and there's uh, uh, used to be a, a weather station. And uh, so we stayed at anchor in this bay because there was just too much ice uh, at the open sea. And we uh, waited there for, for quite a while before the ice would break up and then we could we were able to move on we were just basically following always the ice and um, at the very northern part of um, uh, the coastline there there is a small settlement called Dixon and it's it's basically halfway through the passage so we made it halfway through but um, we had to wait in Dixon because the ice situation was severe and uh, it was uh, not possible for us to move on That was one problem. And on the other side, we had the problems with the Russian authorities, uh, which were at that stage not very friendly anymore. The previous year, they they were, were open. But uh, in the meantime, uh, Gorbachev had to resign and uh, the political situation was uh, a totally different one. And we always had to deal with a, with a changing political situation as well. And that didn't really help to to proceed and uh, so it, it was um, was quite difficult at that stage to to get through the passage but anyway we just waited for the ice situation to improve and then we would proceed so that was the idea you spent several weeks in dixon just waiting for the ice to to melt basically how did you spend the time did you have contact to the to the people 
Yeah, first of all, you have to say that uh, Dixon is a horrible place. So uh, uh, even from the landscape, it's not attractive by any means. So it's flat land. It's uh, it's it's swampy. It's uh, it's billions of mosquitoes around in the summertime, which are obviously trying to 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 kill you. So I mean, they were just unbelievable. And uh, so the settlement itself, it was built. I think in the 1930s uh, during this Stalin era and um, when the Soviet Union in 91 broke down so people who were able to leave they would leave the the town the settlement and uh, would uh, move further down south or to different towns I don't know but uh, there were only few people still in town and many houses were abandoned and it was a desperate situation and the weather was not very nice it was rainy and cold and uh, and then the mosquitoes and and uh, the authority which was not very helpful at all and they told us to stay and uh, wait for better ice situation so it was a very difficult situation for for all of us on board because the ship is not so so big so we we always had to stick together but eventually we we made the best out of the situation and uh, so uh, i mean i was just uh, very impressed how the the crew would deal with this difficult situation you even had an ice pilot on board boris what was his task Yeah, Boris joined us already the previous year in 91 when we were in more months. So uh, we had to take an ice pilot. That was part of the deal, basically. But of course, um, Boris uh, was not an ice pilot. Uh, uh, I think he was more uh, employed by the KGB or whatever. So he pretended not to understand a word of German, but uh, our impression was that he would speak German fluently. So oh he would God. understand every every single word we would say, but we, we didn't mind. I mean, uh, we, we had no secrets really on board. And uh, so Boris joined us uh, all the way to Igaka, where we stayed the first winter, and then he flew out for, for the winter. But he joined us again in uh, 92 in Dixon. So there's an airport, and he flew in, and we also had to pay for the flights and, of course, for everything. And uh, then he would uh, come on board again, and uh, so uh, we know him by then. And uh, so he would join us, and uh, he was not really helpful as far as any uh, conversation with the officials uh, was concerned but uh, well but at least they would talk to him because he was uh, the official representative of the administration on board the Dark Maon and so there was at least some communication going on was his task to tell you where to navigate or did he have more information about the ice than you He should have, that was also part of the deal, he should have uh, any information available um, regarding the ice situation, but um, even he wouldn't get it from the authority because they, they wanted just to keep us where we were. and they, they just didn't like the idea of us cruising along the coast and, uh, well, 
spying out uh, some uh, military secrets. I don't know why they were worried about just such a small crew and and, and, and a sailboat, but uh, there was a situation at that time. So uh, Boris was no expert in, in ice navigation. So and, and uh, traveling maybe on a big ship on a on an icebreaker or on a cargo ship through the ice is a totally different story than passing through the ice on an old wooden sailboat. So um, uh, that's different technique also. And uh, so he was not very helpful as far as this is concerned, but uh, we, we had to take it. So we had no other option. So how did you get your information about the ice? It was a time where drones hadn't been invented. Yeah, we... Uh, There was no such thing as satellite communication, so we only had an HF radio and uh, weather facts. And as long as we were in, in Dixon, so we would get every once in a while a new ice chart, which was drawn by hand. So the, the ice patrol would fly uh, along the coastline, and then there was the ice observer and the plane, and he was drawing by hand the ice situation. So what kind of ice and the ice concentration. And then once he got back to the base, he would just finish his ice chart. And when we were lucky, we would get a copy. But uh, that was the situation. So it's, it's, it's totally different from nowadays where you get all the information via satellite or whatever. But uh, in these days, so um, you basically were very much on your own. But you had Polaris on board. Yeah, we had the Polaris, which is a microlight plane. So it's a combination of our Zodiac uh, dinghy and uh, and a microlight. And we had a very experienced pilot, uh, Chris Nelson from Australia. And uh, so um, we just put the airplane, the, the microlight, into our Zodiac. And, uh, and then it was a double-seater, and we were able to do our own ice reconnaissance. And, and that was uh, really helpful for us. It was, to a certain stage, it was, was also dangerous because um, we couldn't knew how the ice situation would be uh, when, when the plane would return, whether there was enough open water to land and take off. So it, it was pretty risky, but that was the, the only way to get ice information. So we didn't rely on the official information, which was faulty and where we knew they, they would rather keep us where we were instead of uh, proceeding. And so we were pretty much independent to make our own ice reconnaissance. And you didn't give up in Dixon at that point, but you sailed further east. Yes, they couldn't They couldn't really stop us eventually, so because we had the permit, and so we decided due to our own uh, ice information, uh, we sailed from bay to bay, so seeking shelter everywhere where it's possible. So we stayed for a while in a bay called Mikhailova Bay, and from there we started the ice reconnaissance flights again, and uh, when we found out there's an open lead of water along the coastline, we proceeded till the next bay where we could wait. And so step by step, we, we got pretty close to the northern point, which is called uh, Cape Chilyushkin, which is the northernmost cape of Siberia. And that's notorious as far as ice situation is concerned. And at that time in this year, so it's a totally different ice situation than we have nowadays due to climate change, of course. But in these days, it was just very difficult 
to surround Cape uh, Chelyushkin, and we got as far as a group of island called Pravda Island. Pravda means truth. And um, so the Pravda Islands was the northernmost point for us. And uh, we eventually realized that uh, that we couldn't break the ice and that uh, it was just a solid mass of ice. So we had to wait in another bay, hoping that the ice might break up. You even had contact to captains of icebreakers during that time. Yeah. Our feeling was that the only Russians that would support us uh, were the Russian captains of the icebreakers. And they had these powerful, big nuclear icebreakers. And I think they just, they just thought it was funny that a small wooden uh, <laughs> sailing vessel uh, would cruise around this area while normally only icebreakers could go and uh, so they tried to support us really they did and uh, they uh, they passed on to us the uh, update ice uh, information they had on board of course and they were going back and forth anyway so they knew uh, a lot about the ice situation and they even invited us on one day uh, to come on board which was certainly not approved by the administration but uh, they decided themselves and said well i invite you and nobody can stop me and so uh, a couple of us from the crew were invited on one of the icebreakers and they broke through the ice and showed us how, how powerful the icebreakers were. They were very proud of their vessels, of course. But on the other side, uh, they wanted to show us whether we could follow an icebreaker. They were really uh, ready to uh, go in front of Dagmar to, to to make a lead where we could follow an icebreaker. But we, we eventually found out that this is not feasible because the, the powerful icebreaker just deploys immense big ice flow behind the, the icebreaker, which was sink a boat like Dagmahon. And, uh, and also the lead they were breaking, uh, it would close with ice uh, immediately after the icebreaker. So it was just not feasible for us to follow them. But anyway, we were very thankful because they were really helpful. And at that point, you decided that you can't proceed your plan to to past the Northeast Passage. Yeah, eventually you have to face uh, the reality, the fact. And really, we did, tried everything we could. So, But uh, in the meantime, it was late in the year, and the open water started to freeze up. And this is something that uh, goes very fast in the early 90s when we were there. And uh, so we had the option either to stay where we were, that would be in the middle of nowhere in, in, in Siberia, without any yeah, possibilities of bringing supplies or whatever to the boat. And uh, of course, I decided against it. And uh, so um, we had the offer to, to return to Igaka to stay there for another winter, but I didn't want that. And uh, so uh, since the... Uh, The political situation uh, was very tense at that time, and, and we would not get any support uh, from the administration. So I decided to move uh, back to the West, to to Norway, to spend there the second winter, also 
two years in Siberia with Dagmar on. Uh, the boat needed a shipyard where we could do all the maintenance necessary, and that was not possible anywhere in, uh, in Russia. So we had to go back to to Norway after two years in the ice, and uh, so we decided to to sail back which was still very difficult because, as I said, uh, the open water was uh, freezing and we were not able to sail because we would stay where we were and there was uh, not much wind, but it was getting colder by the day and we had to use the engine to break the ice and even when we were running at full bore, so we were moving only two nuts, making two nuts because the ice was getting thicker by the hour. And uh, it was a couple of hundred miles we had to to find a way through the ice before we would get into open water again. And then you spent the next winter in Norway. And after a while, you started to um, proceed your plan of circumnavigating the North Pole with the Northwest Passage. And we can talk about this in another episode, but I have got one last question. You've been on this Northeast Passage 10 years later again. What was different in terms of climate change? Well, first of all, I must admit that uh, after the experience we had with the With the authorities, um, we all were a little bit fed up and said, well, we need a change. And that's why we put our focus on, on the Northwest Passage. But however, we, we didn't give up the plan to circumnavigate the North Pole. We said we just going to make the Northwest Passage first, and then we will start going through the Northeast Passage from the other side, from the east. And that was the plan for 94. And that's something we, We'll have to talk about as well because that was uh, was a big adventure too. Before we eventually sailed through the passage in 2002, what you mentioned. Uh, so uh, in total, we we circumnavigate the North Pole more than one and a half uh, time because uh, if if you just look at all the attempts, and uh, in 2002 it was totally different as far as the ice situation goes. So uh, uh, it it looked as if we were in 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 uh, completely different area, in fact. So, but we will have to talk about this as well, David. Okay, in one of our next episodes. And in case yes. you, you listen to this podcast for the first time, we recommend subscribing to this podcast so you won't miss any new episode. And we really would appreciate a quick review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thanks for that. Avid, thank you for your time. Thank you, Bevan. All the best. Bye. That was the podcast Ocean Change by Arvid Fuchs and Bärbel Fenig.